0: This morning, as we begin in the middle of Exodus chapter 12, we come to such a thrilling new phrase or phase, I should say, in our study through the book of Exodus. We come to the place now where they are genuinely set free from Egypt and they're free. I mean, it's a tremendous thing, isn't it? All the previous studies we've done in the book of Exodus up to this point have had the theme over and over again. Moses saying to Pharaoh on behalf of the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh wouldn't listen until finally God put him in a place where he had to agree. He had to bend to the will of God. And that's exactly where we find Pharaoh letting them go. And now, because of that great sacrifice of the Passover, Israel is now free to leave Egypt. That's where we pick it up at verse 37. Of Exodus chapter 12. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. I think it's a beautiful phrase right there in verse 37. Then the children of Israel journeyed. Do you know what that means? They're on their way. From here on out, Egypt is in the rearview mirror and the promised land is in front of them. Now, it's going to take them a lot longer to get to the promised land than any of them expected. But the promise is true. The reality of it is right there for them. And I would say for us to experience Ladies and gentlemen, God is such a God of bringing freedom into people's life that you can't even believe it. Now, I know that this is different than the conception of what a life lived after God is in the minds of many people. If you go to uh, speak to many, especially for some reason, young people, it's not only them, it's people of every age. When they think of somebody who lives their life for Jesus Christ and after his glory, they think oftentimes that it's a life lived without freedom. It's a life tremendously constrained. But ladies and gentlemen, that's just not true. And you're going to see this so evident with such power, not only this week, but throughout the succeeding weeks as we follow Israel throughout the rest of the book of Exodus. So where did it begin? Well, they left this place, Ramesses, and they went to Succoth. And Sukkoth just means shelters. We probably don't even think that it describes an actual place. They just went to a place where they could sort of camp. They were just living out in the open field, so to speak. But how many of them were there? Think of it here, verse 37. About 600,000 men on foot besides children. So assembling together at this place called shelters at Sukkoth, about 600,000 men besides the women and children left Egypt. Now, that count of 600,000 men makes for a total population of perhaps two million that left Egypt and was going to go into the promised land. I want you to think about what a staggeringly large group of people that was. Now, there have been similar huge movements of refugees in modern times and in ancient times as well. But this is remarkable. This is an entire group that went in to Egypt as simply a large family And came out of Egypt, a mighty nation. But it wasn't only them. Look at carefully what it says there in verse 38. It says that a mixed multitude went up with them. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that's just flat out wonderful. That not all of those 600,000 were actually Israelites. A good number of them, and I have no idea what kind of proportion. 10%, 15%, 20%, I don't really know. But there was some good proportion of them that were of a mixed multitude. In other words, they were not Israelites. They were Egyptians or maybe some other nationality, but they saw the God of Israel exalt himself among the Egyptians, and they were smart enough to say, that's the God I'm going to serve. I'm not going to serve these loser gods or the Egyptians any longer. Forget about them. They're they're worthless. They're meaningless. I'm going to serve the Lord God of Israel, and they came out along with the people of Israel. Now, verse 40 is going to repeat the command about Passover where he says... Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on that very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them up out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Apparently... Their exit from Egypt, which we call the Exodus, began on the very same calendar day, 430 years later, as they came into Egypt. It's a remarkable evidence that God just somehow likes to do things on the same days. God's into anniversaries. God's into you know birthdays or however you would describe it. And this is a very interesting thing to think about, not only for the fulfillment of the scriptures in the past, as it's described in the Bible, but it also gives us something interesting to think about as we might anticipate future events being fulfilled. And so it's very fascinating. God is into keeping anniversaries. Verse 42. It's a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. God wanted this event to be a memorial of his liberating work for Israel. It's like God was saying this. I set you free. Don't ever forget it. I want you to remember it all the time that I set you free. Now, I know part of you might be thinking, who could ever forget this? There we were. We were slaves in Egypt for generations upon generations, Our slavery was not just something that we did. Our slavery was something that we was. It transformed us. It made us into a slave kind of people who had to be transformed by the powerful work of God. How could we ever forget the fact that God set us free? We'd never forget that. And then you look at yourself in the mirror and you realize. Listen, many of you have walked with the Lord for years and years, decades and decades And don't you find it sometimes that you forget just how marvelously it is that the Lord has set you free? Then sometimes the bondage of the past just sort of fade away and you don't really appreciate it and you don't really realize what a marvelous thing it is that God set you free. Well, he did. And he wanted Israel to always remember it. I think he wants us to always remember it. And he did this to take them, as it says, out of Egypt. If you look up in your concordance or Bible search software or whatever, you'll find that some 56 times in the Bible after this point, God wanted them to remember out of Egypt, out of Egypt, out of Egypt. And to go back to Egypt was bad. So you're out of Egypt. That was the whole idea. Verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when the stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord... Let all his males be circumcised and let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. So if you were going to take part in the Passover, first of all, you had to join yourself to Israel. You had to be part of that whole great community that had entered into covenant with God. There's a tremendous application of this spiritually to us today. If you're going to feast on the Passover lamb. I think we developed it very well last week that Jesus is our Passover lamb and that his sacrifice for us on the cross was a Passover sacrifice. And so when you trust in Jesus and who he is and what he did for you on the cross, it's as if you are sharing in the Passover meal. And even when we come to the Lord's table and take bread and the cup, we're remembering God's Passover sacrifice. I think we dealt with that well enough last week. But let me just say this. This is something very powerful. If you are going to be part of that Passover community, if you're going to take that Passover lamb, you join yourself to a community. You're not a foreigner any longer. You become part of this great community that we sometimes call the body of Jesus, the body of Christ. It's like here we are, not so much a corporation or an organization or those kind of things, but we are as a living, breathing community of the people of God. It's as almost as if you could write over verse 43, where it says, "No foreigner shall eat of it." You could write, "No Lone Ranger Christians. You're part of a community. Ladies and gentlemen, it's just kind of interesting. It's just kind of interesting for many different reasons. Maybe some of the reasons are justified. Maybe some of the reasons are frankly unjustified. But for a lot of different reasons, there are thousands of Christians, thousands of believers, even in our own community. Who will just refuse to darken the door of a church. They just don't want to join themselves to community. Maybe they fashion their own communities in some way. And if they are, if they're really linked into some kind of community where they could be said they're not like a foreigner, they're right there with God's people. Well, then fine. But maybe God would put it on your heart to just reach out and love to somebody, you know, you know, they're a believer, you know, they love Jesus, but they're just not connected to people. Maybe God would just stir up your heart to say, "Okay, I I can reach out to them. I can love them. I can do whatever God may lead me to do to connect me, because there it says no foreigner shall eat of it. Verse 46 was also fascinating where it says, nor shall you break one of its bones. And it reminds us again of what of Jesus, our Passover, because not a bone of his was broken. He went through all that agony on the cross, all that brutal treatment. But in the midst of it all, not a single bone of his was broken. And then it says, verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep of it. You can't be a part of this group in truth and reject the Passover lamb. And it's the same way among God's people today. So now verse 50, thus all the children of Israel did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, according to their armies. Isn't that beautiful? God told them to do it. And they they did it. That's just always wonderful. And here they were embarking on this freedom for the first time. And listen, do you realize how how wonderful and how terrible freedom is all at the same time? Freedom is wonderful in the sense I'm no longer under my Egyptian taskmaster. I don't have to make bricks without straw. We're not going to be killed in these terrible conditions in Egypt any longer. Yes, we're free. That part of it's wonderful. The part of it's that not so wonderful is now. Now I have to learn how to trust God all anew for myself in my own walk with him. This was the great challenge for Israel. God was going to work this in it and through them. In the following chapters, verse 1 of chapter 13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. They said, This blows my mind. Here they are free. You're absolutely free. Israel, you're free. And what's the one of the first things God says? OK, God comes. To OK, now here's the rules. Now, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. I thought you said we were free. If we're free, then see you, God. We're out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not how it worked. God says very plainly here consecrate it to me. The idea was that the firstborn was set apart to God, whether man or beast, the firstborn belonged to God. And here's how it worked. It worked this way. All of Israel belonged to God. It wasn't just the firstborn. Everybody in Israel belonged to God. Yet God received the firstborn as a pledge and a dedication of the whole. This is God's pattern of work in so many things. Every day of the week belonged to God. But they said, give him one day of week to dedicate the whole Um, one tenth of the income was consecrated to God and given to him as a tithe. But ladies and gentlemen, everything you have belongs to God, not just a tenth of it. And then it says here as well, that if you would say the first fruit of the crop was consecrated to God, but the entire harvest was his. Ladies and gentlemen, do we have that securely in our own minds? Yes, I I hope you give of your resources to God. And I think a tenth is a wonderful measuring mark. I think under the new covenant, we have a glorious liberty to give more. But but under the tenth is a glorious measuring mark right there for you giving unto God. But ladies and gentlemen, don't think for a moment that if you give God 10%, then 90% is yours. It's all belonging to God. And the 10th is just a picture. It's just a consecration of the whole. That's why God says the firstborn belongs to me. All Israel is mine, but dedicate unto me the firstborn in a special way. Did you see what he said right there in verse two? He said, it is mine. It was God's claim and he settled it in as soon as he gave them freedom. Again, I want to come back to that point. As soon as God gave them freedom, he started telling them what to do. He did not set them free from Egypt so that they could do whatever they wanted to do. I just sort of imagine that in my mind. You see, the very end of chapter 12 said this, that they came out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. And so I think of Israel making sort of an orderly exit from Egypt, coming out in some kind of orderly fashion. And then I think of the contrast to that. It's like, okay, you're free from Egypt and everybody goes their own way. You have people going north, south, east, west. Everybody just goes around because we're free. We're not under bondage anymore. God says, no, 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 that's not it at all. Now, now you're free to follow me. I think this is very powerful what the Lord was saying. If the goal was just for you to have maximum individual freedom to do whatever you wanted to do, then God would say, all right, free yourself from Egypt. Go ahead. Once you try bringing on the plagues. Why don't you try breaking Pharaoh's heart? Why don't you try doing all these things? It was the Lord who set them free. It was the Lord who had claim over their lives, over their obedience. Verse 3. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten on this day. You are going out in the month Abib. it shall be so when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to give your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey that you shall keep this service this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast unto the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, and nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. Again, the purity of the feast of unleavened bread followed upon the blood deliverance of Passover. And this illustrates this principle, that we can only walk in the purity before the Lord After we've received that blood deliverance from the cross. But I like what it says there in verse six. Did you notice it says there and on the seventh day, there shall be a feast unto the Lord. You see, these days of unleavened bread were not sad, tragic days. It was a feast. It was a party. We've been set free. We're living the life God intends us to live. Things are good. It was a life filled with joy. Verse eight. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign on your hand, a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you up out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. God wanted Their freedom from Egypt to be constantly before their eyes, as close as their hand. He wanted them to be locked into the great freedom that he had given them. Now, verse 11, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you that you shall be set apart to the Lord, all that opens the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And then all the firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come. What is this? You shall say to him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be for a sign on your hand and frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt. He said, listen, I'm going to bring you into the land of the Canaanites. And when I bring you, I want you to honor me by sacrificing the firstborn as was indicated before. But listen, some of the firstborn would be unclean animals and those you wouldn't sacrifice to the Lord. And even more so, some of the firstborn would be people and you would never sacrifice a person before the Lord. God had demonstrated that very powerfully in the scriptures He didn't want any human sacrifice. All those wicked gods of the Canaanites, they received human sacrifice. It was a bloody, inhumane religion that they followed. But ladies and gentlemen, God never wanted a human sacrifice. So he said, don't sacrifice the firstborn to me. Instead, redeem them with money. Redeem them with a substitute of money. And that's your way of dedicating the firstborn unto me. Because the firstborn is mine. Now, verse 17. After all these instructions, look now, verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Listen, this is fascinating. Did you notice what it says right there in verse 17? It says that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, even though that was near. I don't know if you've ever known this before, but there was a good Convenient, efficient road that went from Egypt to Canaan. It was called the Via Maris, the way of the sea. And it went right along the red right there, indicated by that red line that you see on the map. A nice, efficient there were traders along the route. There were, you know, facilities. It was like it was like the nice road. It was the way to get from Egypt to the land of Canaan. And you would just think. If you're going to lead 2 million people from Egypt to Canaan, why don't you take the nice road? I'll tell you why God said we're not going to take the nice road. It was because there were Egyptian military outposts all along the way. And God knew that his people were not yet ready to face those military outposts. So what did God do? God said, we're going to go a different way. We're not going to go the way of the Via Maris. Instead, we're going to go now over to the east and to the south. And we'll talk a little bit more about the exact direction that they took. But ladies and gentlemen, this was a dramatic thing that God did. It would have been easy for the Israelites to think that the Via Maris was the way to go. It made sense to go that way. But the dangers of the way were too great, even though they could not see them. Now, there are some of you who wonder why God has led you along a certain path in your life. When you think it is so obvious, God, that the way I thought was better. Come on, Lord, you're smart, aren't you? Can you simply appreciate that there may have been untold dangers along that way that you never saw and that you were not ready for? God was ready for him. God knew them. But God says, my dear child, I won't allow them to be tested beyond what they are able. I'm going to lead them along this other way. God will never allow us to face more than we are able to bear. Oh, not more than we're able to bear trusting in ourselves, but more than we're able to bear trusting in him. I like what this old Puritan commentator, John Trapp, said this. He said that God so orders the matter so that evils are not ready for us until we are ready for them. And that's exactly what God was doing with Israel. So he said, no, I'm going to take you by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Now, I don't know, Must their hearts must have sank a little bit. Nice, easy, quick road to Canaan. Forget it. We're going by way of the wilderness, but it was God's plan. It was God's path and it was good for Israel. Now, this is something I want you to pick up on right away. What is God doing? Right away, God is guiding them. God is governing them. He says, you are free. Now, let me guide you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is such a big point. In some ways, it's kind of heavy on my heart because I'll bump into Christians here and there. I'll bump into people who really are followers of Jesus Christ, at least in their hearts there are. But they just kind of have this mentality that says this. Jesus has set me free. See you, Jesus. Don't tell me what else to do now. It says, no. If he's brought you out of Egypt, he has the authority. He has the power to guide you in your freedom. Verse 19 And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you and you will carry up my bones from here with you. So in a great act of faith, centuries before, that great man Joseph had asked that his bones would not remain in Egypt, but rather that they would be taken with them when they left the land of Egypt. Joseph knew 400 years prior to this that they were not going to stay in Egypt, that they were going to go back to Canaan. Look for 400 years for that promise to be fulfilled. I know some of you, you've been waiting a long time for God's promise in your life. Anybody been here waiting 400 years? That's the kind of faith Joseph had, to believe God for something that wouldn't be fulfilled for more than 400 years down the road. Verse 20. So they took their journey from Sukkoth, And camped at Etham. By the way, Etham, we just don't know where it is. We just don't. People speculate. We just don't know. It's out there somewhere. They camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Ladies and gentlemen, can you let the movie run in your mind just for a minute? Because let me tell you, these events actually happened. There really was a pillar of fire with Israel through all their wilderness wanderings, starting right here in Exodus chapter 13, there was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And it was the demonstration that the Lord went before them. He showed them his presence in a dramatic, uh, glorious way, giving them constant assurance. You could also say this. That his pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud was there to be a sun and a shield for them. I don't mean to make this trite, but you know what that pillar of fire was? It was a great big nightlight for the whole nation. And do you know what that pillar of cloud was? I believe that God positioned that pillar of cloud to block out the sun at times, to give them shade in the midst of the wilderness. Why would I say such a thing? Look at it here, Psalm 105, verse 39. He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give light in the night. Now, that's a nightlight and that's an umbrella for you, isn't it? God says, here's going to be my presence with you. This pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, not just to show that I'm here, not just to give you an emblem of my presence, but to do some good for you. And that's exactly what God did. But then he did something else with this. It's staggering to think about this pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud would move and guide them where they were supposed to go. Could you imagine following where God wanted you to go on those days without a GPS? Look, some of you can't do it with a GPS. Oh, but Israel didn't have to worry about that. They had, what would you call it? They would call it true GPS, God's positioning system. And just follow this, just follow God's positioning system. He'll give you that guidance through the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And it says right there very powerfully in verse 22, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, look, whenever it gets to these things, I'm always tempted because, you know, we like to put up things on the PowerPoint. I like to emphasize particular lines from the scripture that I want to hone in on. And occasionally I'll throw up a picture that suggests something. But could you imagine any picture of what somebody might think that this pillar of cloud or fire might be would just look cheesy. There's no way that it could look glorious and and profound and beautiful the way that it must have actually looked. But picture it in your mind with all of its presence, with all of its power, with all of its glory. And ladies and gentlemen, you look to that, and I know what you're thinking right now. You think, man, if I was there in Israel and God gave me that kind of thing, I would never doubt him again. Who could ever doubt again if God gave you something as glorious as this pillar of cloud or this pillar of fire? You would always know that he was with you. You would always know that he was guiding you. It would help you out in very practical ways with shade and with being a nightlight. Oh, Lord, if you just gave me that, I would never, ever doubt you again. And then you should think two things on that. First of all, you should think this. Did Israel ever doubt him again? Well, of course they did. Now, are you and I so different than they will hold that thought for future weeks? We're not so different than they. But secondly, I want you to think about this. Maybe you would think of this. Oh, God, if only you gave me some extreme revelation of your love and care. Only if you would give to me a gift so precious that would do for me what I could never do for myself, something that would set me right in a way that would be eternal, something that would just demonstrate your love so that I could never doubt it again and again. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what we're talking about, right? God has done it for you at the cross. What Jesus did for you and I at the cross is more wonderful than a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. I guarantee you that. No, what Jesus did at the cross is the ultimate demonstration of love. And that's what needs to sink down into your soul and into my soul. All right. in just the few minutes I have remaining with you now. Let me go over. Some thoughts that I have from this chapter that were meaningful to me, at least. I hope they're meaningful to you. First of all, there's the tremendous theme of freedom throughout this whole chapter. It's glorious. They were free to leave Egypt. They were free because of Passover and the plague that God put upon the firstborn of Egypt. They were free to give themselves to God. They were free to walk pure from leaven, that is sin. God put them on a new life, not just a freedom from Egypt. They were free to follow God's guidance. They were free to know God's presence right there in front of them, right there beside them. Ladies and gentlemen, that's freedom. And I know that I'm speaking to lives right now that desperately need this freedom in Jesus Christ. You need it. You need to be set free. Whatever it is, the issue or the problem or the difficulty in your life, you just feel almost submerged by it. You you feel so much in bondage that sometimes you can hardly breathe. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to believe it with all of your heart that Jesus Christ came to set you free from that. And that your Passover lamb, Jesus, willingly gave him up as a sacrifice, gave himself up to die on that cross so that you can be free. And I want to emphasize, it's not a freedom just for you to do your own thing. It's not what true freedom is. It's a freedom to do his thing, to love him and to follow him in spirit and in truth. That's the first thing I see, just the great presence of freedom throughout this. The second thing I see, is that all this freedom came from the strength of God's hand. What do I mean by that? I don't know if you picked it up. To be honest, I didn't pick it up on my first reading of this text. But after I read it for a while, I picked up a little pattern, a little emphasis here in Exodus chapter 13. Well, look at it with me. Verse 3, for by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought you out of this place. Verse 9, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Uh, verse 14, by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Uh, verse 16, for by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt. You a little theme here recurring in chapter 13. God's strong hand reaching out to you to give you freedom. Four times in this chapter, God speaks of his strong hand. He wants us to know. He wants us to trust in the strength of the Lord. So I want you to think about that strong hand of God extended towards you. And friends, I'm here to tell you, there's nothing weak about that hand of God. That hand of God is mighty to save. And it's extended out towards you right here, right now. God's hand will reach you wherever you are. It's reaching out to you. You, you can just reach out in your own heart, in your own faith, and just draw near to God because his strong hand is reached out to you. But secondly, his strong hand is mightier than any adversary you have. I don't know what it is in your life. It's fear. It's unbelief. It's bitterness. It's, it's, it's some kind of bondage. It's some kind of addiction. It's some kind of habit. I don't know what it is, but I guarantee you, whatever you've got in your life, it's not stronger than the strong hand of the Lord. His hand reaches out to you to rescue you. And don't despair. Instead, look at that strong hand and say, Yes, Lord, that's for me. It's mighty to save. But thirdly, here's the point. God's strong hand is extended towards you. God's strong hand is mightier than any adversary or any difficulty in your life. But friends, here's the thing. You have to reach out and take hold of that strong hand of God. Matter of fact, why don't I change that metaphor just a little bit? It's not that you reach out and take hold of it. How about this? You reach out and he takes hold of your hand. I'm more confident in God's grip on me than I'm confident on my grip on him. But I know that if I reach out in faith and allow him to grab a hold of me, he will answer. And that's for you. That's for me. In just a moment, as I conclude in prayer, I'm going to give an invitation for people who want to reach out to God in that way right now for this morning. It'll be an opportunity for those who have never given their lives to Jesus Christ to do so. Or maybe you've done it before, but you have fallen so far away from that initial commitment that you just feel like you have to do it again this morning. I'll do that in just a moment. And when I invite you to do that, I'll just tell you what I'll do right now. In the midst of my prayer, I'm going to ask people who want to do that. I'm going to ask them to stand to their feet. So you just be thinking about that right now. But I said there were three things I wanted to conclude with, and I've only spoken to you about two of them. Here's the third thing. I see myself in this text in a very special way. It doesn't always happen that way for me. But sometimes when I read the Bible, I go, that's me. I'm right there. Can you figure out where I saw myself in the text? And I don't know, maybe it's some of you as well. But here, I'll tell you where I saw myself in this text. It's in verse 13. Take a look at it with me. Verse 13. Exodus 13, 13. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm the donkey. No, really. Really? I'm like an unclean animal before the Lord. And even if I were to go to God and say, I'll sacrifice myself. What would God say? He'll say, you're unclean. You can't sacrifice yourself. But you can have a lamb sacrificed on your behalf. And you know what, Mr. Donkey? Then you can live. You live because the lamb gave its life for your sake. There you are as if you were an unclean animal. But God says, even though this animal by right should die because it belongs to me. No, no, I'll receive the sacrifice of the lamb instead of it. So come and bring that lamb and then that unclean donkey can live. Maybe I'm speaking this morning to a few unclean donkeys in our midst. Nothing personal. Well, look, maybe everything personal by that. Because we need to come and trust, trust in what our Passover lamb has done on our behalf. Well, Father in heaven, that's my prayer. I pray for your work among these precious people. I pray, God, that um, as beautiful as the freedom that you offer to us in Jesus Christ, as wonderful as the freedom is that your strong hand provides for us, Lord Jesus, I know that not everybody in this room, not everybody hearing this morning has that freedom. And so, Jesus, I pray that now you would speak to hearts to make such a decision for you. To say, Jesus, I'm going to reach out my hand so that you can grab hold of it with your strong hand. Jesus, be the lamb that was given for me, just sort of a dumb donkey. I come to you that way and ask that you reach out your hand to me. Friends, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed in reverent prayer before God, and I do believe that, I believe that people all over this room are praying, I simply ask, if you need to make this decision for Jesus Christ, would you do it right now? First, I want you to do it in your heart, and I want you to whisper it to God, with your lips say Jesus I reach out to you I'm I'm an unclean person but I want to repent of my sins and I want to reach out to you and if you've made that decision this morning if you've turned yourself to repent and to believe on Jesus Christ I'm going to ask you to stand right now so we can pray for God bless you bless you back there others here this morning i know there's many others please bless you others here today bless you ma'am this is your time this is your day don't resent that you have to kind of come as a donkey before the lord that's okay you'll live anybody else bless you back there in the corner Father I pray for these who stood before you to yield their lives to yield something in their heart to you to receive the freedom that your strong hand provides so Lord pour it out upon them pour it about upon us if you're standing, you can just repeat after me. In a simple prayer. You don't have to say it loud, but you do have to say it. Lord Jesus, I look to you. I know that I'm a sinner and I need you. I stop trying to save myself and I look to you, Jesus my Passover lamb to save me. Forgive my sins. Give me new life. And help me to live that new life in the freedom that you've given to me. I give myself to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.